Welcome back. I am Charles Musgrove, your host of Answers That Count. You know what to do. Hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, the notification button. We're on all your favorite podcast channels, whether you're watching or listening. You know where to find us. Just look for Answers That Count. And today we have an awesome show. We have Chris Michael Harris on the show. He is an entrepreneur, an educator, and a podcaster. Chris, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Man, your uh, your your show background looks awesome there where you're at the studio. It's uh, This is multiple iterations in, so I don't want to give the impression to anybody that this is a beginner setup for sure. This is years in the making. Yeah, it looks, it looks great. So, man, I'll tell you what, I've been following your, your YouTube channel and what you put out yeah. for education purposes, and you are, um, I guess I would say, and, and you can correct me where I'm wrong and, and where I miss this, but you're really the educator for the entrepreneurial startup for the entrepreneurial company. That's that's a correct assumption. Yeah. Yeah. So it looks very good. And I think one of the things that really adds a lot of credibility to it is that that not only do you teach it and you talk about it, but you've lived it also. Mm -hmm. Which honestly was the the inception of the entire online part of the education was the fact that I was doing it and this several years ago and realizing just how much was um left to be desired in terms of online education, right? I had no idea what I was doing and scaling my first business from my college apartment into the multiple seven figure range. And I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, Charles, I look back and said, oh my God, if I had known this six months ago, I would have avoided so much headache. And that is the genesis point of the online brand of the podcast. And now, uh, now the YouTube channel, which is somewhat branded, we've been doing it for about a year now. Now I don't want to blow past that too fast. So you said mm -hmm. your online, your apartment, you created a seven figure income company is that that yeah, i hear that correctly? yeah so it was an it was an offline company um i just have always been very had a keen eye for opportunity uh specifically outside the nine to five i just that never really resonated with me um even as a youngster right so even 10 11 12 i was just always trying to find ways uh, i tell this story often but you know when my, when my friends were at the pool the summer between fifth and sixth grade right so entering into middle school and they're hanging out at the pool and you know going and doing all this stuff I was going up and down my cul-de-sac mowing lawns. I made mean, the whole street and I made like $3,000 in a summer. Wow. And I just thought, you know, I mean, we're talking fifth grade, right? Yeah. So for a fifth grader to make that, make that kind of money, you know, and I learned a lot, right? I, my dad got me, helped me get my first credit card. And so I was putting off the, the gasoline on the card and, you know, kind of building on my credit and doing all these things, right? And realizing, wow, there's a lot of power to this. If I can really be more efficient. So I'd end up doing multiple lawns at a time. I just go straight across three front lawns, <laughs> you know, and yeah. then do the backyards and what have you. So, uh, that ended up kind of, I had, that was a, uh, that was pretty much a recurring theme in my life. It was one thing to the next, right. Of just doing these little side hustle opportunities and making a lot of money. Uh, I love it. It's same, same thing happened in high school. We made like $16,000 over a summer, kind of doing similar type work, DIY home type stuff. And one of those jobs was actually like half of our revenue that summer was we were moving this elderly couple and they just had a really bad experience with a big box brand moving company. And they wanted somebody with a more, you know, personal touch, but also some young kids that are trying to do something with their lives. And, you know, um, so anyways, that idea kind of stuck with me. Well, I'm now in college and I noticed that these two young ladies were going down the hallway and I was single at the time. So obviously opportunity to talk to girls for one, <laughs> if I'm being totally candid and transparent. Yeah. Uh, but the second part was it was one of those big uh, fold out sofas, right? And those things, I don't know if you've ever lifted one of those things, but they're, they're the heavy. old ones are steel, you know, yeah. real heavy. They're right? back breaking heavy. Oh my gosh. So, and, and I, I swear this building was designed by a kindergarten with a crayon. That's always the joke that I tell because 
the parking deck in relation to the configuration of the building was like an eighth of a mile. It felt like it was just forever. And so I felt bad. So I, I grabbed my brother and, you know, at the time we'd been, you know, spent a lot of time at the gym as most, most college kids do. And, um, we decided to help. Well, mom throws us like a $50 tip. Mm. Right. And I'm like, we got something here. So yeah. we had to build a relationship with the lease office manager, uh, not necessarily out of good positive reasons, but because we were known as the party room. <laughs> and so, so we said, Hey, look, you know, uh, we want to put a flyer up and just say, hey, you know, can we help people move out of this building, right? Just this building, not anything right. crazy. Well, within about 45 days, we moved about 30% of that building and made eight to $10,000 wow. right, just quickly. It just so happened my brother's friend, who was also in, it was Athens, Georgia. I went to UGA. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, Go dogs. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so he, his grandfather had a moving truck. It was just very serendipitous the way everything kind of fell into place. So he let us borrow it. We just pay, had to pay for the gas, but everything else was covered. Insurance, the cost of the truck. We didn't have to rent anything from U-Haul and really cut into our margin. So we made a lot of money. They ended up paying for the entire, my senior year of college, right? Because, you know, splitting that three ways is good money for a college yeah. kid. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I go off, get a real, quote unquote, real job, traveling salesman. I was coming back to Athens on the weekends to continue the moving company. My brother continue to do it. You know, he had, he's two years younger than me with the same friend with the moving truck. Well, next thing you know, man, they're doing 20 plus thousand dollars, right? Cause we expanded beyond that one building mm -hmm. and we did some more. We went to fraternity and sorority houses and, you know, wore the shirts around campus. I obviously myself not included, but we had our friends and stuff like that just to wear shirts on campus. So we started getting a lot of requests from our peers, right? During those transitional summer months in college. Um, so they did 20 plus thousand dollars. With this point, I'm again, I'm seeing that, that, not there's an opportunity there right so i'm seeing this you know and i'm not happy with my job and i remember my boss specifically at the time said you're not going to be respected in this industry until your hair looks like mine hmm. well charles his hair was as white as snow mm. and i just said not only have i not got this my entire life but now you really just put the nail in yeah. for me like i just <laughs> so here we have this thing growing and i didn't go to uga to start a moving company but i i went to find an opportunity which is what we go to school for right, right exactly so I jumped back into the moving company. I moved back to Athens and I'm, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't flying out of the gates, you know, as far as our success, but pretty quickly therein, uh, we went, I guess in about a year time frame. we jumped from, we did 48,000 my first full year. We did 500,000 the second full year. Wow. And by about year two and a half, year three, we did 1.2 million. Wow. Now, did you expand cap. beyond, uh, university of Georgia? Yeah, this was we at this point we were in 32 states. Wow. Uh, and, and we were doing so that we started with the residential services, right? You know, moving kids from dorm to dorm or apartment to apartment, stuff like that. Uh, it started to expand into young fam you know, families in Athens and stuff like that. So, but you know, the typical move was three to five hundred dollars, mm -hmm. right? But what really was the major catalyst that just exploded our revenue growth was I got a request and I remember, you know, things were okay, things weren't great. I was really struggling to support myself and the business, right? That was the hard part. I, I made that transition too quickly, right? right? I just quit and jumped into it. And I, I teach people how to not do that and make that mistake. Uh, but I got a request that came through the website and I poured everything in the website. We went from the fourth page of Google to number one overall in like two months because I just was like, what does Google want? I'm going to figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. And so I did. And fortunately, we, we jumped the major players like two men in a truck and some of the big, you know, again, the big nationwide players to take number one overall just in Athens, nowhere else, just in Athens. Yeah. Well, my, I mean, at that point, I was just keeping up with growth. So anyways, a request comes through for 316 bedrooms. And Charles, I almost thought it was, I legitimately didn't think it was a real request. Hmm. I thought it was just some spoof, some spam that just came through. And I almost didn't call back because it looked like it was a foreign name. And, you know, it's like, it's probably just something, you know, you get those calls right. and those, yeah. you just ignore them. 
But there was something in there that made me think that it was a real request. And I don't recall at the moment what it was. I think it was the area code. It was a Miami area code. So I decided to call back. And it turns out it was a furniture manufacturer. And what they do is the trend in student housing was fully furnished units. Hmm. So when, when kids show up for their off-campus you know, apartments, right, uh, they, they, they just build into the cost, furniture, beds, sofas, nightstands, right. entertainment, you know, stuff like that. So they can just bring, because, you know, the average student, the turn, the turn in those buildings is like 80%. So you're oh, yeah. moving every year pretty yeah, much as a college absolutely. Student. So it doesn't make sense to take grandma's old heavy wood furniture and then pay movers, aka me, to move it every, every summer. Right. So we're kind of getting into both ends. The people that were moving grandma's stuff, we were moving them, but then also we were doing the installation work. So the installation work, we did such a great job. We just took such a, a white collar approach to a blue collar industry. We were the only people that successfully had completed a, a, an installation job for this particular manufacturer without them having to come in and clean up the mess. Mm. So they just loved us because we took a very calculated approach to doing it and we did it successfully. You executed, um, you fulfilled the responsibility. We executed. So next thing you know, man, I've got guys in Los Angeles. I've got guys, every corner of the States, I've got, I've got guys, right? You know, whether it's Madison, Wisconsin, or you know, I've got, I had guys in New Jersey. I had guys, you know, in Oklahoma, you name it. We had, we had people somewhere managing these type assignments and I'm driving all over the place. You don't realize how big the States are <laughs> looking at a map. You're like, oh, no big deal. Until right? you have to you know? drive it. Yeah, until you have to drive. I mean, at one point uh, during that really accelerated growth from half a million to 1.2, I think I had driven the distance from New York to Los Angeles and halfway back in 10 days. Man, I mean, it was that's a lot. It was rip roaring. I was all over the place because you're you're just you're out you're outgrowing your infrastructure, right? So anyway, so I'm having all these amazing conversations and I'm experiencing all these ridiculous. I mean, I have stories for days about some of the just crazy stuff that we experienced with that business and during that growth period, and I think. Uh, I just, it's something hit me at some point. I said, why am I not recording these conversations, right? This is such powerful stuff and I'm learning so much. And again, thinking back, I wish I had known this before I experienced this. So right. at least I could have some kind of preparedness for it, right? Yeah. So that spawned the idea of just, well, let's start a podcast, right? So we did that. And within two weeks, the show was trending uh, top five on, at that time, iTunes under business, health and education. We stayed trending in the top at least 10 to 20 for eight weeks. And that led us to uh, acquiring guests, come on the show like Damon John and Grant Cardone, Barbara Corcoran, uh, Marie Forleo, if you're in the online space, Guy Kawasaki. Well, that's quite a list. Yeah, we've had a litany of really, really big guests come on the show. People that I read their books, and I don't know that I could have told you, hey, in two years' time, uh, you're going to not only have had these people on your show, but many of which you're actually going to have established relationships with me doing business with in some way, whether it's as an affiliate or strategic partner or what have you. So it all kind of fell together. um, And that's... So anyway, so to not be too long winded in it, that's, that was the first business. No, I think that's so awesome. And there's a couple of things that you, that really stuck with me in in that story is that number one, you started early, Mm -hmm. you went through the grind, you didn't have it given to you. So you work for it. And number two, you saw an opportunity that people was really a, a needed business, a needed service. Now it may not have been glamorous to carry furniture around, but it's something that people needed that they were willing to Mm -hmm. pay and something that, that turns out you could scale that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think I'm, I'm glad you say that. I'm glad you wanted to highlight that point specifically, because I think there's too many young folks that want to start a business and they think that it has to be this like grand, sexy idea. And it's like, dude, we were out there in t-shirts in the Georgia summer heat, yeah. moving people around, making crazy money 
you know, and I didn't have, and everybody's, you know, just enamored with Instagram followers. Well, you right. got to have 50,000. And it's like, I maybe had 700 Facebook fans, maybe doing 1.2 million. Right. Yeah. So it's just like, we've really shifted. I, I get that there's these shiny bells and whistles and it's very, you know, appealing in the allure of having a lot of followers and people that engage with your, your content and the stuff you're doing, but we have to get back to the basics and the fundamentals of what a business entails. And it's really identifying a problem and then coming up with a viable solution. Right. And that's all I've ever done. None more so than in that business specifically. Yeah. And it, it, it's really, you don't want to overstate this, but it's the simple stuff. Probably, pr probably a month before you, you help those people carry their furniture in, in the dorm. You never had the idea of mm -hmm. moving furniture. Yeah. But it's something that you saw that people needed, that it's something that was there available for an opportunity for you to take advantage of. Yep. That's exactly what happened. So I, I think that's so important. And uh, I know you, I, I watched one of your, your videos recently and you went through that process is to really look at, look at the problems that you see, whether you encounter them or not, but problems and the problems become opportunities. And then you yeah, have to kind of vet those opportunities or those problems to see is, can you get paid to do that? Do mm -hmm. people really want to, to use that service to solve that problem? Do they want to, do they want to, invest in or pay for the service of your, is your mousetrap going to solve the problem at hand? Correct. So I think that's, that's so interesting that, uh, and, and so many successful people, you've interviewed a lot of people, a lot of people that people really know and mm -hmm. famous people. And so many of those folks, they had that humble beginning. They had to mm -hmm. work for that first dollar. They, they were out mowing the lawn. They were carrying the trash. They were sweeping the floors. They were doing the things that people don't think of as as successful as they are now where they started. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And and one of the most beneficial things I think to having started the show was learning what you just said. Was learning that they're humble because we see where they are now and they've almost gotten to the point where they're they're not relatable to us anymore because right. it's been so long since they've been on the struggle bus, right? And I I glossed over a large part of, you know, kind of quitting the job to crazy success all over the place, right? But man, there was a period there for about 8 months where things were looking real tight. Um, like I said, I wasn't able to support myself and the business because growth requires cash specifically in a low margin business. And so I was jogging to my office to save, to save money. Well, money, when I say save money, I meant I didn't have money. To right. So, so I was, that's what I was doing, right? I was doing laundry in the bathtub. My girlfriend and I would get together and who's now, fortunately, somehow she hung around. She's now my wife. Uh, but we would get together and do laundry in our bathtubs. And because it was like, well, we can go to the laundromat and spend that excessively, which is unnecessary. I love how I say excessively about laundromat, but at that time, that's how tight yeah. things were. Yeah. That's a dollar um, you didn't have. Right. So it was canned, it was canned foods. I lost a ton of weight. I was starting to lose my hair because I just wasn't, you know, I was deficient in so many areas. Uh, and it actually probably led to what was a major health crisis that I had uh, just weeks short of my, my 30th birthday. So uh, there's a lot of struggle that that went into that some of which is necessary like you said and i don't i don't want to glorify the struggle i think we do that a little too much but i think it's also a necessary part of the process i always right. tell people this you can do the steps faster but you can't skip the steps right True. we all start like damon john we all start you know hustling shirts out of the out of the trunk of our car outside of yankee stadium you, you there's no avoiding that and moreover when you try to avoid that when i see a lot of people do this now because you know it's very appealing to sell things online you know it's so much easier you don't have to get out and like get in front of somebody face to face and like have that uncomfortable experience, right? It's like, I can sit behind my keyboard and be brave and sell things. It's like, yeah, but here's the deal. 
Damon John being out there, getting told no all those times or being looked at in a certain way or having these conversations, these dialogues with people. And this was FUBU, right? This was the beginning of FUBU. Yeah. The reason that worked, the reason that he had, every day it's R&D, right? You're doing your market research right, right there. there in real time yeah, in front exactly. of other people, right? And so every time I've tried to say, well, you know, I've already done this. So I don't, no, you got to go back. You got to go back to the beginning. You've got to start the same process over and over again. You've got to do the Arthur Blank waiting outside of Home Depots and asking people, how's your experience? What would you have done differently? What would you do? Like, it's just about how much information, how far can you immerse yourself in your industry so that literally you know more than anybody. And then it's the hard work. Then it's the execution. But if you pair those two together, rocket ship. And if right. you find market alignment, rocket ship, you'll take off because you have that depth of knowledge, that domain expertise that a lot of people just aren't willing to do. They're not willing to roll up their sleeves and get out and figure out a way to sell it and say, you know what, I'm going to, I can't tell you how many times, Charles, in the moving company, especially when I, you know, later on, I wasn't doing moves myself, but you better believe I did probably the first several hundred, you know, with, because I, I don't want to, you know, pay for an extra oh, yeah. I can just yeah. do it myself, right? You had a young and back at that point, right? Right. We had a move a day. What am I going to do? You know, I can answer calls for inbound requests that are coming in on my cell phone. I can just forward it from my office to my cell phone. So am I going to sit there and pay other guys when I can just go out and do it myself, right. right? Now, there's arguments to be made about other things I can be doing to grow the company and what have you. But when you're in the struggle bus and you're barely making rent, you're going to get your butt out there and save whatever money you can, That's right? right? <laughs> but here's the deal. I would have so many uh, parents or, or so many customers that would make comments. And sometimes, in, most times in front of my employees, they'd be like, now, you know, make sure you stay in school. And I was really young, so I still look like I was a student. I was only a year removed, so I right. was a young man. And uh, they would say, make sure you stay in school so when you graduate, you don't have to do this anymore. Right. And then the guys with me, they, you know, their faces would turn beet red, and they're like, he owns the company. Yeah. Or they would say, now, you know, Chris, uh, is this all you do? Like, right. is this, you know, like kind of is in, not, not intending to be demeaning to me, but it just doesn't. We have a, we have a vision for what being a business owner looks like right? It's the glamorous side of right. things. It's the, you know, you own multiple houses and all these nice fancy cars and all that stuff like that. And I think we don't really realize that most of us start is we're not even thousandaires. You right. know, it's like you're in the hustle, you're in, you're doing the work. Now that's hard to make that transition out of that phase. It is, you have to evolve and grow out of that phase at some point, but man, I, I cannot tell you how important it is. I got to the point where I knew my customers so well that I created uh, avatar profiles, which I, I teach people how to do. But you need to have the phone ring. And this is how good I got at it, Charles, in that business specifically, where the phone would ring and I was no longer answering and doing sales because, you know, I would working on other things at this point. But I would hear the conversation with some of my sales folks in the other room. And I knew what avatar profile it was just based on the nature of the conversation they were having. Now, we had built out these avatar profiles to build in certain things that were selling points for those type people, right? What are their objections? Because we want to provide counters for all those objections and be prepared for those conversations. So we took the time to actually build out every single one. I think the 12 avatar profiles in that specific business. But I could literally, that depth of knowledge, right? Totally immersion in that business, having done everything to such a degree in that business, I could literally identify and almost hear the conversation myself just being in the other room because of how much I immersed myself in Interesting. that business. That's, uh, that's really knowing the... Knowing the business and knowing that customer profile, right, makes a big right. difference. You right. know, and you when, can't scale anything unless you have that, right? Even if you're in the online space and you're going to try to scale, you know, one of the things that a lot of people do is they can't get Facebook ads to work, or they can't get any form of you know paid advertisement to work, and that's not even talking about organic, you know, converting organic traffic right. because you don't know what somebody wants, you don't know what they need until you've done that work. But man, you talk about paid, 
and talking about getting real bang for a buck and getting your, your, you know, getting your, your ad costs down. It's by knowing where those people hang out because otherwise you're just throwing a wide net out there and trying to compete with everybody else. If you're trying to sell something to entrepreneurs and the only criteria you put into your targeted ads is entrepreneurs, well, guess what? You're competing with everybody. Right. Now, if you can get really specific, like the things that they follow or the things that they like or the books that they read or the movies that they watch and that's built into your targeting, then you're, then, then you're cooking with grease, right? Yeah. Because then you're targeting a specific uh, avatar profile, which means you're going to speak to a certain person, right? So you're going to really do well in your conversions, but also you're competing at a more, much more targeted level than what other people are. So you're not competing on that auction block with other people the way that they are competing. Right? Really refines just, where you show up. It totally does. It changes everything. Absolutely. I want to talk about, get you to, to uh, go through the, um, when, when companies, when people get stuck, when you kind of hit the ceiling, and one of the things I found very interesting is uh, the paid concept that you have, P-A-D-E. So talk to us about that. I think that's, that's such an interesting uh, way to look at things. And it, it really, when I watched that, watched your, uh, your video on that, it really made so much sense to prioritize, to automate, to delegate, to eliminate Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so the hard part about being an entrepreneur, and this is part of why I do what I do now, uh, why we launched my latest, which is, you know, our, 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 our programs, our umbrella programs is called startup you, right? So right. we have a lot of programs where we're teaching people the things that I wish I had known, but what you're referencing specifically is something I came up with because the problem is without intention, you'll find yourself slipping back into some, you know, old habits, mm -hmm. right? Because we've, and, and it's not bad data. I don't want to necessarily call it bad data. It's just not relevant data, meaning what you were taught throughout your schooling up into your, you know, more advanced levels of schooling in high school and college, but basically your entire life, even into your early employment years, you know, when you got your real job before you're an entrepreneur, right. you were taught to be a taskmaster, right? Here's the things you need to do. Well, you couldn't go to your boss or go to your teacher and be like, you know what? I really analyzed it. And I think I'm going to eliminate this for now. Like this isn't really a high impact area of utility in my life. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to do this assignment. Right. Like your teacher would be like, okay, you get an F and right. you fail. Right. Like, <laughs> right. No, you don't have, have that fun. choice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> have fun with your paid process yeah. there because you're not getting paid anytime soon. Right. right. So the problem is, Charles, is that we've been conditioned uh, and rightfully so. Right. That's the world. When, if you think about what a school really is, and this is maybe more on the you know, side of polarity when it comes to my views on things, but the schooling, as I see it, uh, is you're, you're, you're creating a breeding ground of people that can go be good employees for other people, right? True. We, need that's a machine, true. we need a machine to create employees. And that's really what education largely is entailed to accomplish, right? right? So you're told things you need to regurgitate them. You go through the list of things that you're requested to do. And it's really showing that you're able to do those things in a manner of which they deem is appropriate or what is you know considered to be successful, right? right. So then you go into entrepreneurship, right? And you're completely on the other side of the table, because now you have to figure out, okay, what's important? Like, what's really going to make a difference? Like, what, do I, what should I really be working? So the problem is this, Charles. We take our outdated, you know, uh, um, mechanism and we try to apply it to entrepreneurship. And the problem with that is, is that as, first of all, even the, the most basic iteration of your business, there's a never-ending list of things to do. Like, right. there, like, literally, if I sat down right now and I wrote down everything for a new business venture, everything needs to be done. I could literally sit here for weeks and still have just a litany of things that need to be done, right? Right. So as your business grows and expands, so do the functions that you have, right? So what I often see with people and I experience myself is just total burnout because A, you're focusing on the things that actually don't make a difference. So you're literally just flaming out all the energy you have 
on that. So you stay stuck where you are in terms of your revenue and your actual business growth, right? You're not pulling those levers. Or you don't even know what the levers are you're supposed to pull to see tangible growth in the business. Right. But then moreover, when you do see an uptick in growth, right? And let's just call it revenue growth because that's typical with people. Growth in a business is not necessarily revenue growth. That's one of the levers, but it's not all the levers. I right. always make sure to make that clear. However, let's say it's revenue just for the purposes of just people keeping it simple, right? Let's say you've upped that a little bit. So you've gone off and you hired somebody, right? Or you're getting ready to hire somebody. Well, here's the deal. Just because you've grown and now you're serving more people, guess what? Now there's more things for you to do. Right. You've expanded you know, your things of things you have to juggle. And there comes a point at which you can no longer keep up. You can't cover all those. On. And so what oftentimes people do is, and the e-myth, Michael Gerber talks about this in the e-myth. He talks about technician-run businesses. And typically what those people do is they like, they'll, they'll focus on the wrong things. They'll focus on, you know, the, if they own a bakery, they focus on the cupcakes. Must be something wrong with the cupcakes. No, no, no. You're just not focused on running a business the right. way you should be running a business. So what I like to do is create intention, right? I'm a big proponent of habits. I'm a big proponent of mechanisms. I like systems and processes. So paid process you're referencing versus P, right? It's an acronym versus P, which is prioritize, right? So what I have people do is make a list of all the things that you currently do right now in association with the time value, right? So if you say, I'm currently spending five hours a week creating social media content, I'm spending two hours writing, writing blogs, I'm spending an hour a week, you know, talking to guys like Charles and doing podcast appearances and so on and so forth. First list is, is prioritize, right? So of those things that you list out of all the things you're doing, what are the, the few things that only you can do that make a meaningful difference in the business? Now, how, how, do you how do you discern, Chris, what is a meaningful thing to do? Well, we can layer on data. We can look at analytics. We can do all types of things and figure out, okay, this isn't my opinion, right? This isn't subjective. I can look at it objectively and say, when I blog, I can see the traffic increases on my website and I can right. see where that's coming from versus when I'm doing Instagram, I've got five clicks because you know, my CTR is five for the entire year. That's not, a, and I'm spending 80% of my time on, on Instagram, right? Like that. So I like to layer on, make sure I clarify that because I like to layer on that proponent because it's very important because otherwise people would be like, well, it is important to be on Instagram because Gary Vee's on, you know what? And it's like, no, no, no. What is the data telling you? Right. right? What, and that's a part of it too. What the influencers tell you or what people that are successful tell you is a part of it, but you always want to find good decisions are made in numbers. Right? I think so that, that is so important to objectively so, evaluate that because what if I see people, they, they tend to go to what do they like to do? Exactly. So exactly. what what what's their comfort zone? So you Correct. mentioned the bakery. Maybe they're maybe they're a baker that now owns the bakery, and their comfort zone is they're they're in the kitchen making cupcakes. That may not be the best use of their time. That may not have the highest priority. Sure, and that's fine if that's what they want to do. But then guess what? We could, we go a different direction. We find somebody that can help you come in and run the business. We exactly. Partner you up with somebody, or we find somebody to come in and be. You're Fred Turner, right? right. Comes to this the guy from McDonald's that built out all of McDonald's systems right. to make McDonald's what it is today. He was Ray Kroc's right-hand man, right? He built everything out. He was, without that integrator, McDonald's is not what it is today. So maybe you go find yourself a Ray Kroc right. or, or, or a Fred Turner. Fred Turner. Right. So we're going to prioritize. We're going to pick the few things that you do that are actually really, really important that you have seen provide significant utility and growth and impact to your business, right? And that's going to really cause you to get really, really, you know, specific and analyze things like we talked about, right? So next, and usually this is the mistake, and this is why the A is important. Usually people jump straight to D, right? So they go P, this is what I do, this is what I prioritize. And then they skip and go to D, which is to delegate, right? So what they do is say, well, I'm burned out. I've been doing this for so long. I need help. I'm going to hire somebody, right? 
And so they just dump things on that person's lap, whether that's a virtual assistant overseas or whether that's somebody in the States, they just dump it on their lap because mm -hmm. just, they just can't do it anymore. Right. right. There's no They've system in place. They don't just hand them the keys to the car. They hand them the parts to build the car. Right. And they're like, well, this isn't working. So then they get frustrated and then they say, well, that doesn't work. And I knew that I was the only person that could do this. This is wrong. I'm the only person that can do this. I knew it and they prove it to themselves. Right. So then everything falls back on their plate and they try to do it over again. And then event, you know, and it's just, it's, it's just a vicious circle. Yeah. Right. It is. It is. And eventually they say, well, I'm frustrated. I can't get around this point. I'm making less money than I was making in my job, but I'm now I'm working for a lunatic, AKA me. I'm going back to the job. Right. And that's how a lot of businesses fail. That's, yeah. that's the usual story of how a lot of businesses fail. So here's the deal. Anything this is the A. Let's let's focus on the A because that's the, that's the really important part for your for your audience to, to focus on here. Is we have so many tools, right? We have we need to use technology in ways, and it doesn't even have to be technology. Like automate could just be systems and processes, right? Some a framework to people for people to utilize. Eventually, maybe it's gonna be filled with a person, but ideally, you're using something to completely automate a process, right? So, for example, uh, scheduling people for your podcast. That's not something that you should spend time going back and forth with people to figure out when you're going to book them for your show. You create a time slot that you're going to be available every week to allocate four podcast recordings. You send them a link and then they book. Right. That's it. Exactly. Otherwise, you're going to have 15 emails and you're going to waste hours and hours of time on something that really doesn't provide significant utility to the business, nor does it put money in your bank account. Right. right. So anything that can be done once and should only be done once should be automated if at all possible. Now, again, your basic iteration may not look that way and that's fine, we just want to start working in that general direction. Now, anything that can't be automated, that you can't just set it and forget it, then we focus on D. Then we focus on what's your budget for D, right, in terms of delegation. Because you, and a lot of people say, well, I can't afford to hire somebody. Well, what have you really looked into, right? Have you looked into freelancers? Have you looked into, we hire our whole teams in the Philippines. On the other side of the world, our team's there. You can hire somebody in the Philippines for five hours a week. Some people that are just looking to make extra money starting two to three dollars an hour mm. five hours a week you do the math yeah you're talking about you're talking about cutting your starbucks morning latte and you're paying <laughs> for that for like a month yeah realistically right that's what you're so i think we get to the point where we're so long focused not to rehash this and you keep being a dead horse but we focus so long on doing it all ourselves that we start to get really close mind in terms of possibilities and opportunities and solutions that are out there for us that's true so that's the delegate that's the delegate part right what can we fill other things that didn't go on the priority list and couldn't be automated of these, all these things that we're doing, can we find a virtual assistant for two, three dollars an hour for five to ten hours a week? You know, one I of the things right there. I can Thanks. I can relate this to when you talk about automate. So everybody has bills to pay. Sure. So the process could be the first thing we want to do is instead of delegating somebody to to pay for somebody to to write the check, maybe That's I correct. set that on auto pay so that my utility bill automatically comes out of my bank account every month. That's correct. So there's there may be things that I need to delegate to somebody else to another bookkeeper, but I can automate those processes first. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great that's a great example. And I'm glad you bring up the personal side because a lot of people only focus on the business side. You should run your home like home life like Absolutely. a business as well. Yeah. So I like that you bring up the personal reference because some people they forget to pay their bills and credit cards like there's no reason. Just set it on auto pay. Yeah. Done. Right? Yeah, because you know you're gonna pay your your utility bill. You're gonna pay your rent right. bill if you have rent. So those are things that the 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 amount of that should not vary from month to month. You know you're going to pay it, or they're going to cut your electricity off, or they're going to cut your cell phone off. So set it on auto pay. Right. right. And the last one is the last category is eliminate, which eliminate is okay. Doesn't here's the thing. I think when sometimes we say we say no, we feel like we're saying no forever. No means not right now. Right. No is short for not right now. Right. So you may say, hey, look, you know, I really want to. I love Chris's. You know, I love that Chris started YouTube. 
and I love his content and I, I see, you know, the value that that's providing. And I, I really want to do that. Right. But, but right now with everything else I'm going on, that's a large production, right? Like doing all that. And, you know, I've got a video editor, like the only part that I'm involved with at this point is just getting in front of this camera I'm looking into right now and, and creating content. That's it. But that wasn't always the case. And though, thus I didn't really have the bandwidth and that's why I haven't started a, a YouTube channel until the last year because I wasn't at that point where it made sense for I wasn't my business. So I right. know he's not right now. So that goes in your eliminate category, but leave it there because you're going to readdress these as you create more bandwidth for yourself and start to introduce things that are in your roadmap for things that you want to be doing. So what I've come to find is that when people use just that one mechanism alone, uh, I've helped some of my clients and students trim 30 to 40 hours off of their work week almost instantaneously yeah. because they just didn't it's not the fact that they they don't know they're they know they're doing it. They just don't know another way and they won't give themselves permission to try something new, right? right? Because of just 20 plus years of conditioning throughout your schooling and your job. This is what success looks like. Well, now we have to kind of, again, we have to sit on the other side of the table and focus on, okay, but does it really matter? And yeah. why? And kind of analyze in accordance with that. So yeah, and that's that such mechanism a, alone seems to really help people. It really is. And that's such a, a burden relief too when people go through Ugh. that process and they and they know that it's okay to put things on the no list. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's- Yeah, a, and most of the really successful people, this shocked the hell out of me, Charles. I couldn't believe this. Um, but we, my, my, my wife and I, who, who's also my business partner, uh, we would hear some of these, you know, again, some of these conversations that I would have with these entrepreneurs, you know, billionaires, right? Like Jeff Hoffman, uh, the founder of Priceline. He came on my show and he said, Chris, you, you look at my portfolio and I mean, the guy's done everything. I mean, outside of going to the moon, he's literally <laughs> done everything under the sun. I mean, I'm serious. He's really done everything. He's got a, he's got like Grammys and Emmys and all kinds. I'm like, you're an entrepreneur. How do you have a Grammy? <laughs> Unbelievable. Those, those aren't really in the does. same sentence, right? <laughs> he, it's he really does though. It's crazy. And he told me, and I asked him this because I was really struggling with this myself. You know, I was trying to do multiple things and I had given myself permission to do this whole paid process thing yet. And he said, Chris, the magic of entrepreneurship is our ability to go just hyper extreme on things, right? It's when you wake up at three in the morning and you're so immersed in what you're doing that you wake up with that like idea, that epiphany moment, right? And we just, we lock in on it. And that's that's all that matters to us, right? That just fixation on, on succeeding in that one thing. And he said, I've never... Of all those things you showed uh, that you're highlighting in his, in his portfolio, because I'm reading through, I'm like, I don't even know what to ask this guy. He has so many accomplishments. <laughs> and he said, I've never done two of those at the same time. They've never overlapped. That doesn't mean that they weren't going on concurrently. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. he waited until he sold Priceline to start whatever he did next, but it meant he grew it to a certain point, hyper-focused on that on Priceline. Right. Hired a CEO, moved on to something else. Now, that might not be in the cards for one of your listeners to say, I don't want to have multiple businesses. I just want this one to work. Right hyper-focus. I'm telling you, this is the only way to do it. You're going to see no is going to be the most powerful word in your vocabulary, right? It's just to say, and we don't give ourselves permission enough to say no to opportunities. We have to, for every, for every yes, there should be a thousand no's because that yes should mean something. When you say yes to an opportunity, it should truly be the opportunity that you should pursue. And it's just, it's really hard for us to kind of get to that point to say that. So I, I like to give people, it's usually when I, I talk about this and I'm glad you brought it up, usually people I can almost sense or I'll get a message or it'll ping me on, on Instagram or Twitter or what have you after the conversation. And they're like, oh my God, I literally like felt the burden. Like yeah. my shoulders like sunk as you were explaining that like that's not what success actually looks like. And guys, I'm telling you it doesn't because I've interviewed the people, the most successful people that I have ever known of on this planet, literally. And that's, they're not doing, not to say they're not working hard, they are, but they're not juggling as much it's probably you are right now with a sub six figure business. That is a true statement. I believe that, Chris, and that, that is uh it's almost like less is more. 
So those those successful people, they're they're laser focused on mm-hmm. what their objective is, and they're okay with saying no. Yeah. So yeah, I, you can. And so I can prove that. Uh, um, so for one, Steve Jobs when he came back to Apple, they had two hundred and fifty products. He cut it back down to ten immediately. Cut it back down to ten. Hmm. Uh, then you look at Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett majority, I think like ninety percent of his investments are in ten companies. Right. He spends entire mornings thinking, not not playing on Facebook, not doing that, just literally thinking and reading because he's like, I know that the few moves that I make, right? Pareto's principle. I know that the few moves that I make, 20% is going to result in 80% of the results. I'm see, right? So they fundamentally know that they play their own game. They just play their own game. But right. I wanted to provide that as proof. And there's many other examples I can provide, but there's there as proof that that is truly how they operate. Right. And we have to break this cycle and this internal pressure of thinking that that's not reality because we've been fed a story that just doesn't align with the reality of entrepreneurship. Yeah, Chris, that's so important. That that's uh, I'm glad I brought up the paid program because that really mm-hmm. gave you an opportunity to talk about that. And one sure. thing uh, before we leave, when we talk about what college is today, I thought that was an interesting perspective that you had. But I always think of colleges, not necessarily what you learn, but the process of learning how to think and analyze because that yeah, totally that agree. analytical ability yep. that you have and that you develop through college, through school, through through your work experience, that really sets you apart. It does, yeah. And learning how to learn is one of the most important things you do as an entrepreneur, and I think that too many of us uh, undermine that. And it's funny because I think you see people on two ends of the spectrum usually. Entrepreneurs uh, like me, I just jump in head first. I don't check to see if the pool is six inches deep. I just <laughs> jump in head first, right? And sometimes I get burned for that. So I've had to learn to be a little bit more you know, okay, let's calculate my risk. Let's just not jump off the cliff and be like, okay, let's figure out how to build a plane, right? Right. Like let's, (laughs) that is important. And you do have to make that kind of commitment, but make sure you do it with some kind of a a blueprint before you just take a dive, right? And on the flip side, I think sometimes what you see, and this maybe kicks some people in the butt. So it depends on who you're talking to. If that's you, slow down, calculate your risks before you take them. If you're like me, that's what you have to, you have to have that discipline in in your way to make sure you do that because you will get burned bad. And I've been burned a lot doing that. The flip side is you have what I call professional learners, people that it's always the next course. It's always the next book. It's always the next this. It's always whatever, right? They, they put these artificial boundaries and roadblocks right. in their own way to give themselves reasons as to why they can't do X, whatever right. X is. Step and out just, and execute. You just got to go for it, yeah. right? So whatever whatever end of the spectrum you are, you need to do that. But, but to be to your point, though, I think uh, with college, I, I totally agree with you. And I don't mean to diminish the, the significance of college, right? I think it's overhyped. I really do. I think if... If I could go back, I would have gone to, I would have gone, I wouldn't have gone to UGA. I would have gone to um, more of a commuter school because man, I was doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I was, we went to, we went to, but a mentor of mine is a couple years older than me. We would go, we would fly to New York and go to Saks Fifth Avenue on big sale days. And this was Black Friday. This was mm-hmm. like my sophomore year in college. And we went to Saks Fifth Avenue and there was a, there was a crazy, you know, they offer crazy deals. It's 50% off. You spend more than $3,000. You get an additional 25% off, 15 to 25%. Free shipping, uh, returns uh, for twelve months, no interest for twelve months, right? So you've got a year to decide. Right. To keep it. So we went up there, spent more than three grand, got the free shipping, got the additional twenty five percent off on most items. Usually on eBay at the time, those items would sell for fifty percent MSRP. Well, you can do the math. We're doubling up if we're getting it at seventy five percent off. Right. <laughs> so selling men's clothing, you don't want to, in that business. You don't want to touch women's clothing because women they tend to return things more than men. Men kind of know what they want. They just buy it, right? 
Um, but yeah, we made like $43,000 in two weeks doing that. Right? Wow. It was just bananas, like taking advantage of those opportunities. But here's the deal. I'm at UGA. They didn't teach you that at UGA, did they? Huh? They didn't teach you that at UGA. <laughs> no, but one of my <laughs> one of my professors was really cool, though. She was my accounting professor, and I just was point blank with her. I was like, this is what I'm doing. And she's like, hey, call me when you've made your first million. Like, she totally would excuse me and, like, make it, you know, whatever. She would let me do things on this. But some of my teachers were, like, attendance, right? I would get an A on the test, but they would not. They would dock me so many points for attendance that I'd end up getting a – I would be barely passing the class. You know, I'd be, like, struggling in the finals to get a C – because I was so low on attendance. So I, my point is this, the reason I told that story, because there were many things like that where I was running around doing crazy stuff, flipping cars, clothes, whatever. It didn't align. I didn't, I didn't want to be a doctor, lawyer, whatever. And truly thought I didn't know what I wanted to be from anything from a pro wrestler to an astronaut. I had no, I had no idea, right? <laughs> so I would have gone to a commuter school that was more flexible until I could figure it out, go get right. real life experience to figure out. It doesn't mean take it, take three years off of school because the likelihood you go back is probably very slim. Right. But I would have kept my education moving along, mitigated the amount of student loan debt that I was taking on in the process. Right. And then still given myself abilities to go explore, hustle, do things, learn stuff like that and network and all those various things. So that if I stay at the commuter school and graduated great, I've already created opportunities for myself. Right. I got my piece of paper. I'm ready to go. Right. Uh, but being at UGA, required that full-time commitment and i i was really trying to do two full-time things at once and it just didn't it, it made my life unnecessarily painful in a lot of ways you didn't do the uh prioritization at that time so it's probably I, a good I thing didn't. you did because I, it really expanded what you were capable of doing this is this is probably it true. stretched you this is probably true man this has been awesome chris michael harris i appreciate you so much for joining our show man this is uh this is one of the best we've had. So thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I want to put your information in the description of my show so that people can jump over and, and check you out as well. Cool. Yeah. I'd love for it. Sounds people good. Can me on social media at HeyCMH. HeyCMH.com is my website. And then anything, I would ask you guys one quick favor for sure. those that are listening. Go ahead. Uh, so Charles, you guys don't maybe realize this. And I talked about the production behind YouTube and podcasting and stuff like that. So I can tell you guys, having been on the other side of this, I do it myself weekly. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a, it's a tremendous commitment to bring you guys value and content, and it comes from a place of passion. So my ask of you as audience members is to please, in whatever way you can, support Charles by just giving a subscribe, leaving a review for the show. It really does more than what you think. If you could do that for me, I would be eternally grateful. Appreciate it. That is so true. Please subscribe. Hit the like button. Leave us some comments, too. You can reach us there. You know where to get us. So, Chris Michael Harris, it's been such a pleasure to have you on our show. And uh, keep it up. Keep educating and keep telling those stories. Man, they are awesome. And mm -hmm. the real thing is they really happen. They happen to you. They happen to hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs on a daily basis. They're great stories. And let's help educate those coming up through the ranks right now. So maybe they don't have to experience some of the pain that we did in the process. <laughs> Amen. Good deal. So you've been watching Answers Account. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace.